Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. good to be with you today and to feel the tremendous presence of God in this place. My request and my wish and desire today would be for those watching online to have the same enjoyment of his presence. I hope your worship and your praise has brought him into your living room or your dining room or wherever you might be watching. And we invite you to be in the presence of God with us today. I want to give high honor to your pastor and to our friend, such a tremendous man of God that I esteem highly, him and his wife. We love and appreciate them. Say a little more tomorrow about them. Also want to say that my wife, it's so good to have Lois with me and all the materials that she brought. Um, take advantage of that and make sure that you get a chance to see that ministry. If you're not able to be in these services, but you'd like to check these out, Tim Green Ministries or GreenMinistries.com is a good place to find that. Green has an E on the end, G-R-E-E-N-E Ministries. You can have these resources in your life as well. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 23 and begin reading at verse 5. Jesus has just been speaking to the disciples and the multitudes and to us. And he's saying, don't, don't do like the scribes and the Pharisees do. Because they're all about their reputation. They're about somehow fame. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, that all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all of you are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father which is in heaven. It doesn't seem too hard to follow and to go along with through verse 9. <laughs> but then he says call no man on the earth your father. And that's a little more difficult to understand. What is he talking about? You have one Father which is in heaven. I'm preaching today what's been a paradigm shift for me and a revelation as God has revealed this to me. Preaching daddy issues. Daddy issues. God bless you. You may be seated. Daddy issues is an informal phrase. For the psychological challenge resulting from an absent or abnormal relationship with one's father. It's an informal phrase, but widely used in the psychological world and the counseling 
understandings of our time. There are certain things that most of us believe and expect a father should be. Perhaps if you made the list, it would look somewhat like mine. But a father is absolutely supposed to provide for his children. Provide food, provide shelter or housing of some sort. A father is supposed to provide proper teaching and proper discipline for his children. Are you with me still? You believe this? A father absolutely should love unconditionally. That doesn't mean we always approve of what our children do. But even when they do what is going to be detrimental to their lives, we still love them. Our love is unconditional whether they deserve it or not. A father should always protect the well-being of their children physical well-being, emotional, as well as especially spiritual well-being. A father should spend quality time with his children, should give wise counsel to his children, should teach good worth ethics, and on and on and on. We could talk about what a father should do in a relationship with their child. And when a father fails to do these things in relationships, deficiencies show up in the children that become landmark battles and challenges often for the entirety of one's life. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. Individuals will attempt to fulfill this place in their life that they've missed if father was an absent or an abnormal relationship, then oftentimes individuals will try to fill that place with perhaps an uncle that can be a father figure or someone that they are close to, a neighbor perhaps that can be a father figure. We even hear gross attempts to fulfill this when individuals try to marry their father. I'm not talking about literally, I'm talking about an individual that they're trying to fulfill the place in their life that they have missed. And so they marry an individual that's more of a relationship as a father to them than really as a husband. <clears throat> Sexual perversions are many times, most times, traced back and linked to daddy issues. Emotional battles as depressions and angers Oftentimes, even fear can be linked back to daddy issues. It becomes a catch-all for any kind of stuff and issue in people's lives that they began to try to trace back and find that an absent father or abnormal relationship has become why there are suicidal thoughts. While there's even those that have gone to the lengths of Murder and suicide and rape and plundering. Oftentimes, as you watch the documentary that tries to peel the layers of the onions off, why could someone happen to turn out this way? It's daddy issues. Daddy issues. Many characters within the Word of God can be found 
that demonstrate this psychological challenge of a daddy issue. I would submit for your reasoning that perhaps the very first man-child born had daddy issues. His name is Cain. And I'm giving his daddy a little bit of a break here because Adam was formed a full-grown man and didn't have a physical daddy. Not only did he not have a daddy as an example, but he was never a child to understand what a child goes through. So maybe Adam has a break here, but Cain exhibits perfect symptoms of an individual dealing with daddy issues. He gives himself to rebellion to authority. He has anger issues in his life. He even harbors this rebellion, this anger to a degree that he kills his brother. Maybe we could diagnose Cain with daddy issues. I think if you look in the scripture, it's not hard to find. It leaps out at, at, at you. How about these two sisters, Lot's daughters? My God, daddy issues. So confused. Perversion of immoralities and confusion, anger, all the symptoms you see listed here probably you could trace that back to that informal phrase and say they had daddy issues. Jezebel, daddy issues. On through the scripture. I would say that in the New Testament you'll find just as many and perhaps Mary Magdalene would fit that place very well as she who had seven infirmities and seven possessions that Jesus healed her and delivered her from. We don't know a lot about her life, but just... Just kind of look at what we do know. She lives with her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus, and they're all older singles. It's like three's company, right? You don't see any mention of a father and no mention of a mother, although Jesus visits this place oftentimes. It's looked like Martha has become the motherly one to do the cooking and the preparing, and they're seemingly different from what we'd expect in a normal culture and society. And so here we have one that's given themselves to a place, seven possessions, seven infirmities. So maybe Mary Magdalene. But maybe the character in my mind that exemplifies this the most is Jacob. Jacob. Jacob, whose very name means heel grabber. Jacob is within the womb of his mother with his soon-to-be twin brother. They are twin fetuses and they are waiting to be born. And Rebecca is struggling. Well, I'm sorry, not Rebecca, but rather Sarah is struggling. Rebecca is struggling with these twins in her womb, and she cannot figure out why is all this battle. And so even in her womb, Rebecca has this battle, not realizing that this is more than just siblings. And when Esau, the firstborn, is born, he is a baby for a dad to be proud of. He's ruddy-complected, and he's like Gaston. 
every inch covered with hair. Hairy all over. Can you imagine how Isaac must have felt? Wow. Look at this man child I produced. He's already a man and he's just an infant. And he lived that out. He becomes one that daddy dotes on. He's the birthright. He's the one that's going to receive the blessing. He's, he's got all the inheritance. And daddy loves everything that he does, how he's such a great deer hunter and a moose hunter and everything that you can imagine. And he's, he's in the fields and he knows how to fix the venison and the meats and the, all these things Isaac loves. And Jacob, on the other hand, is almost a runt. I guess we have to have Jacob too. Now think about it. They name him heel grabber. That's what the name means. Every time his name is called Jacob, he's thinking conniver, trickster, heel grabber. That's what it means in that culture. It's like, it's like the country song about the man who called his boy Sue. How do you do? And he declared in this song that it's because I wasn't going to be there for you, so I needed you to be tough. And I knew if your name was Sue, you was going to have to be tough enough to fight to live. <laughs> that is ridiculously ignorant. <laughs> but it seems that way here. In fact, the only time that Jacob is respected by his father approved of by his father, loved by his father, is when he's acting like he's his brother Esau. Yeah, think about that psychologically. I finally got my father's blessing, but he thought I was my brother. He must have had daddy issues. These things are easy for me. To look into the word of God and identify characters that might have dealt with a lot of these issues. Because I myself have daddy issues. I was the second born to basically new converts. Mom and dad both got in the church in the same revival in San Bernardino, California. And there they quickly began to date and got married. They are still brand new in the church. And my older sister is born nine months to the day that mom and dad got married. And I was born just a short two years after that. I was less than two years of age. My dad was in a car accident on a rainy day in California. And his foot never left the accelerator. They assumed he was asleep as he careened off the road and hit a small tree. And the seat belt that he had on broke and his chest crushed against the steering wheel of his car, instantly gone. And my mom, a new convert with two babies and didn't know till a few weeks later, pregnant with what would be my second sister, now she is trying to grieve, trying to recover, trying to live. Mom never got her license or for a short time she did, but she did not drive. And, and we took the city bus everywhere we went at that time. And the stories that I have been told by my grandmother is that I would slip out 
as just a toddler from mama's skirts on the city bus walking down the aisle looking for any dark-haired man to throw my hands up to and call daddy, daddy. That's kind of sad and a little funny, but kind of sad. There was in me, even at that age, a missing of someone I didn't know really well in my infancy, but knew that I needed and wanted in my life. My mom is trying to grieve, and she is not doing it well. In fact, never fully grieved the loss of my paternal father. Meanwhile, on the other side of the United States of America is a man that was married, a home missions pastor, and his wife got cancer and she died leaving two children that were step stage two years older than my older sister. A pastor got the two of them together through somehow telephones and mom and the man that I called dad began to date. <laughs> and when I say date, it was, it was really two meetings that they saw each other. The first one was a date pretty soon into their relationship, and the second one was a date the day before they got married. They courted not even by telephone because, of course, landline back in the late 60s was the only way that they could talk via telephone, and the long-distance charges, just a couple of here might know and remember, the long-distance charges to call from Georgia to California, a 30-minute call back in the late 60s could be $40, $50. That's a lot of money in the late 60s. And so they wrote letters, snail mail, as we would say today, and that's how they dated for the short few months that they dated, approximately six months. And then Daddy proposed, Dad proposed to Mother with this statement, how would you like to cook for me the rest of my life? And somehow she thought that was a good idea. <clears throat> yes. And so they were married. And Dad had two children that had lost their mother, and he did not grieve very well or properly. Mom had three children that had lost their father, and now they put that family together. It, it was doomed for failure from the beginning. They felt like that was not dysfunctional enough, so they had two more children together. And now there's seven children and grandma living with us as well. It was quite a crew. You cannot realize how dysfunctional that was when if there was any problems in the household and a discussion came up, it turned into a knockdown drag out when it's your children and my children and he said this and the family splitting again. I, I, I just have to say, that I didn't realize where my dad and mom came from until I was older and could see some things in the spirit and then questioning got some confirmation. But on my mom's side, her grandmother was a prostitute, literally, and extremely poor and all the things that go with that lifestyle, and that was her grandmother. And when God saved my mom, she came a mighty long way. 
my stepdad, or dad as I call him, came from an abusive family. Both him and his sister were tremendously abused. And dad tried to raise children after that was his experience. And so what God did for them and through them from our family was incredible. But even incredibly how far they came, it was dysfunction for us. How many times did I think, if my dad was alive, I'd be loved. I'd be wanted. He'd do special things with me. He'd take me fishing. He'd take me hunting. He'd spend to all the things that I didn't get, I thought I would get. It seems in my family, for whatever reason, that, that they doted on the girls. And me and my stepbrother seemingly were Ah, boys. <laughs> and I felt like I missed so much. From the time of my fifth birthday, when my half-sister was born on the day of my birthday, from that moment on, I never got a birthday cake. My sister did, and they said it was Tim and Tina's birthday, but it was Raggedy Ann's and Barbie doll cakes. This gives me great hope. Hebrews chapter 4 and 15 says, We have not a high priest which can be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. There is a promise of the high priest called Jesus Christ that felt and dealt with everything that we have dealt with in our life doesn't matter where you come from how broken it was or how good it was whatever emotional baggage or issues you have brought into this world we know this the scripture that cannot fail says that our high priest is touched with every feeling that we dealt with of our infirmities when I realized this is truth and I began to study it out it's it's clear to me. Now, you're going to have to go with me a little bit because this is, is going to be very non-traditional but opinionated of what I see absolutely in the Bible. But I want you to see the life of Jesus Christ. First of all, he is conceived out of wedlock. Now, now we know and we understand the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and that which was in the Virgin Mary, Jesus, that fetus that would be this flesh of God, was absolutely holy and of God. But they didn't know that then. They didn't believe that then. The man that would be his stepfather all of his life wanted to put his mama and him away. He didn't want to marry her because he believed she'd been messing around. And he wanted to get rid of her and he wanted to get rid of the baby. Until an angel declared, this is of God. And we don't know. We just see his obedience. But maybe he even regretfully said, well, I've had this angel appear to me, so I guess I'm going to marry her. 
doesn't mean that he was all excited about it and truly believed it. He absolutely, speaking of Jesus, grew up in a family where everybody in the family had their mother and their father except him. He was absolutely the red-headed stepchild. He had a different father. You don't see much in the scripture doesn't even give us an insight until 12 years of age. And I've, I've often wondered why in the world do we have this insight? But this is part of the revelation that I'm seeing because at 12 years of age, we see something in the life of Christ that is really mind-boggling. And I think that we put rose-colored glasses on when we read this story. Let me take them off for you. The family goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast day. And when they're headed back home, 12-year-old Jesus is not, get the picture, he's not even a teenager. Think about the logic and the reasoning of a 12-year-old. And the 12-year-old is not with them. Three days that he is away from them before they realize He's not with us. And mama is absolutely desperate. She is worried sick. And she's calling everybody she knows. Have you seen my son? Have you found him here? When's the last time? And they're trying their best to find him. You would think that a 12-year-old son would have the foresight to at least text mama and say, I'm okay. She's got to be so worried. What do you think of when your 12-year-old is missing? Someone's kidnapped him. He's been assaulted. He's lying dead in a ditch somewhere. He's been left in the woods, thrown into a trash can. He's taken away on some kind of sex traffic. All the things that mothers think about. Mary is dealing with this. And when she finally retraces her step, and she, he has wasted, Jesus has wasted valuable time for the family. They finally retrace their steps, and we see it so beautifully. Oh, they find him in the temple, and the 12-year-old Jesus is astounding the leader. That's amazing. But when Jesus says to her, when Mary says to her boy, she's not saying, oh, I'm so proud of you. She's like, don't you know how worried I've been? You could have sent a message. You could have told somebody. You could have, you could have done something. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, mama, I'm so sorry. My goodness, look how time flies when you're having fun. Instead, what he speaks is a rebuke. As he says, don't you know I've got to be about my father's business. What he's saying is, is that man is not my father. We, we've got this, again, song sung, and we have painted po poetic pictures about Jesus the carpenter. I think he hated carpentry because the whole time he's being raised, Joseph is trying to give him a skill in a career. Come on, you got to sand that table leg. No, not like that. And he's trying to skill him. And the whole time we see in the mindset of Jesus, this is not who he is. This is not what he to do but his father is who he wants to be that's what it's about that's what is pulling him and he's got this friction that dad stepdad knows nothing about me 
He can't fulfill anything in me that needs to be fulfilled. Daddy, daddy issues. This is not just his upbringing. My goodness, this is in his ministry everywhere. Luke 14 and 26 declares this. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father, he cannot be my disciple. Why are you saying that so harsh, Jesus? Why didn't you just say, you, you know, if you want to be my disciple, there might be times that you're going to have to walk away from what your father... No. You've got to hate your father or you're not going to be my disciple. It's almost like Jesus is starting an exclusive club. Hey, if you want to come to my treehouse, no girls allowed. But it's not girls. It's you got to be a daddy hater to be a part of my club. That's, that's what it looks like. When you see other insights, it seems to back up this particular statement. Mark 3 and 33 Jesus has been ministering, and Mary and his siblings, his half-siblings, have traveled a long way to see him. And someone runs to Jesus and says, hey, hey, your family's outside. And he's like, who is my family? That's not my family. You who love the Lord and follow me, you're my disciple. You're my family. Wow. You don't think Mary was offended? And the siblings that traveled so far was, why would he be so strong to speak of delineation? Let, let me just say this, that traditionally we have, we have put some things out of balance. Because in the kingdom of Jesus, it becomes very clear that the family that we need to lean on is the people of God. And when we start putting our earthly families in front of them, we're setting ourselves up for heartbreak and confusion and pain. And that's not what we preached. We preached the I can't tell you how many times my pastor told me, well, I'm going to take care of my family first because when I get old, you're not going to be changing my diapers and taking care of me in the nursing home. My family is. That's not biblical. I, I, I know. I know. Luke 9, 59, there's someone that feels a calling to follow Jesus. And in, in my opinion, this might be how he approached the Lord when he said, I'll go anywhere you lead. I'll do anything. But my dad is sick, and he's not doing well, and we are so close. If you'll just give me a little time to go home, and when he passes, I'm going to give my entire life to you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Isn't that crazy? Because the Ten Commandments says, honor thy father and thy mother. What's happening here? Anytime you see in the scripture what looks like massive contradiction or confusion about character of God, seemingly with what is being said or spoken and done by the Lord, there is opportunity here for tremendous revelation and understanding. So what's happening here in our text? Call no man father on the earth, for one is your father. The Hebrew language that many theologians, and I also, not as a theologian, but as a student, believe that the Hebrew language was given to man by God. It is so exact in, 
in its multiplications, in its math. It sounds weird unless you know some things about it. It is so perfect in every structure, in every way. The very first word in the Hebrew language in the dictionary is the word ob, which is the word translated for us, Father. It's the word Father. The reason why it's first is because everything proceeds from it. Father. Father means more than Father in the Hebrew. It means the primary source. And everything comes from that. And when Jesus makes this statement, he's talking to those that are schooled and understand the Hebrew. And he's declaring to them that you have one primary source, and that shouldn't be your earthly father. Lineage is extremely important to the Jews. Extremely important. That's why when you're reading through the Word of God, you get muddled down in Genesis and in 1 Chronicles because Jezebel begot bloody bow. And begot this, begot that, begot that. And you're thinking, my goodness, why is there chapter after chapter and verse after verse? Because lineage is extremely important because this is the value. If you can trace your lineage back to a primary source, then everything that primary source was becomes yours. You are the heritage of that primary source. This is why they were always saying, hey, we are Abraham's children. Because if they can trace their lineage back to Abraham, Abraham was a friend of God, therefore they're a friend of God. Abraham was blessed of God, therefore they're blessed of God. Abraham has all these covenants, therefore they have all these covenants. And that is the understanding of the Jewish mindset. Let, let me show it to you, even in the New Testament as we see this. John 5 and 18, the Jews sought the more to kill Jesus because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. That's their mindset. That because if you called this your Father, you were equal to that because that's your primary source. Philippians, what you spoke about in study that will be upon us, declares that this, that Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. These words in the Greek are maybe the best you can say that he came from the primary source and therefore he became equal. He insulted them. Jesus insulted them so bad when they started talking about Moses is our father and Abraham's our father. And he said, I could raise up these stones to be children unto Abraham. He insulted them huge. Them stones can't be primary source from Abraham. God could do that. This is where we find the shift. Four times in the Old Testament, this is a law of humanity. Twice in Exodus, once in Numbers, once in Deuteronomy. The scripture makes it clear that God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children into the third and fourth generation. That's a law of humanity. That our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers, their mistakes, their failures, what they did, the iniquity of them is visited upon us. Generational curses. 
And we are not living on an island because our actions, our choices, our sins are visited upon our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. That's primary source. Bringing into the lives of those that come from fathers. But the good news is this in Exodus 20 and 6. Following this statement of the iniquity upon the fathers to the third and fourth. That God shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. When the scribes and Pharisees declared we are children of Abraham, Jesus said, uh-uh. Because if you were children of Abraham, you would act like Abraham. Abraham loved me and loved to see my time. And you, you want to kill me so your father can be traced back to Satan. So Jesus is speaking of a shift that it's not near as important who your physical lineage is. But you've got to have a spiritual lineage that traces back to a heavenly father. Call no man on the earth your primary source. But you have one primary source and he's a heavenly father that's in heaven. Here's where we are. I thank God, and I'm quickly coming to a close. I thank God, tremendous the heritage that I have been raised in. In the UPCI with the revelation of one God and that his name is Jesus. Anybody else have that revelation? Thank God. But because of that, I have noticed through the years that we are a little afraid of even things in the Scripture where Jesus prays to the Father. We're a little shy about that. We change the wording. Instead of speaking it in the biblical wording, we, we change the wording a little bit to, to emphasize that there's one God. Songs that we sing that we specifically pick out we shy away from some that are very biblical wordage, words because we're concerned that it doesn't promote the oneness of God. It's natural that we do that. But over perhaps a generation or two, we have raised a group of ministers and leaders and saints that don't have a relationship with a heavenly father. I've had to examine my prayer life. I can't tell you how many times oh, through the years that I had told the Lord how much I love you, Lord. Jesus, you're everything to me. But I don't pray to the Father. I guess I don't want that confusion. First time that I can remember a man loving me and hugging me and telling me I love you Tim was a man in the church I think I was 14 maybe 15 years of age we had a foot washing that night and Chuck Fiesman with tears in his eyes wrapped his arms around me I was a little shocked when he said Tim I love you never heard a man tell me that it broke me I started crying 
wondering, what is this that I'm not just hearing, but I'm feeling? Scared of a man loving me that way. But when I began to realize this revelation, that yes, there's one God, his name is Jesus, but he is my father. Then I started acknowledging him in my worship, in my prayers, and it shifted a paradigm for me. When I study the Word of God over and over, it's a relationship with the Father that brings gifts to His people. Not a relationship with the Savior, not a relationship with the Lord, not a relationship, it's a relationship with the Father. Let me just hit a few so that you will be reminded of this. James 1 and 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from thee. Every gift that is good comes from Father. Matthew 7, 11, if you being evil know how to good gifts to your children, how much sure shall your Father give gifts? Matthew 6 and 1, reward your Father will reward you in heaven for what's done in secret. Matthew 6 and 8, your Father knoweth what you have need of and will give you. Your Father will forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6 and 14, Matthew 6 and 18, your Father will reward you for fasting. Your Father will reveal himself to you. Matthew 18 and 19, when two or three agree together, your Father will be there to exact the peace. To... In fact, in Luke 24, we're talking about what we give so much emphasis on, the power of the Holy Ghost. When it's to us, Jesus said, it's the promise of the every gift comes from the Father. We have been trying to get gifts from the Savior and trying to get gifts from our friend and trying to get, get all these things we need to have but we improper miss because we don't have a heavenly Father. Not in our paradigm. In fact, this is the absolute basis for what Jesus said communication with God should be. When you pray, say this. Our Father. That prayer lets us know that it's not some king's kingdom. It's my Father's kingdom. It's my Father that forgives me. It's my Father that leads me not into temptation. It's my Father that do, does. And when I have that understanding, so many issues that I deal with in my spiritual life disappear. I've got daddy issues in the spiritual. But I'm learning some things that Father loves me unconditionally. Most of us in the organization that we're part of are afraid that we're not saved. If we'll be honest with ourselves, we're not sure we're going to heaven if we die right now. That's a symptom from not having a father as God in our life. You think about your children, you would move heaven and earth to do everything you possibly can for your children. Provide for them. Whom the, who the father loves, he chasing it properly and so many times we think we're being done wrong when father is trying to correct us so that we'll be blessed this is kind of birthed out of a situation I shared with pastor 
first lady in the Georgia district where I live there have been two suicides in church leadership in the past few months a beautiful young pastor's wife not 40 two small boys committed suicide and a pastor a different pastor from a different city took his life as well and we all grieve but I'm telling you when that happens confusion moves among the people because this shouldn't happen not only should we not have battles of suicide overcoming us we should not have battles of fear and that is rampant across our organization right now we should not have battles of depression and anger we should quickly overcome these I submit to you it's daddy issues because we have an abnormal relationship and an absent father not his fault but ours I went to these funeral that I could attend beautiful young pastor's wife and was so grieved in my spirit I'm just being plain with you today because the best that the leadership that presented the memorial service could do was say you know she was such a good mother she loved her children she loved her church she was a great worshiper Basically, they said you've got to look at the fullness of her life and not judge her by one moment what she did in her death. And they said, we'll see you again, Mama. We'll see you in glory. We'll see you over there somehow. Somehow not presenting what we believe in the Word of God about suicide because we don't understand we don't know I believe things that we deal with why do we have addiction still we got the Holy Ghost we speak in tongues why do we still deal with addictions why do we have fear and anxiety all these things that in the physical you might be able to trace back to daddy issues it's becoming very obvious to me we need Heavenly Father in our life. If I was to start this service out and say, let's pray, Father God, you'd have opened your eyes and looked at me and said, well, is he gone Trinitarian? But God the Father is so biblical. we got to quit being afraid that somehow if we say something, it's going to trip somebody up. And let them see the truth of the word. We've got to do two things. We've got to release our earthly fathers. Because what Matthew 23 is telling us is that no earthly father, even if he was a great father, has the ability to fulfill what you as a child needed. It's like that God-shaped hole with all of us. There's a Father-shaped hole in all of us. And it don't matter how good He was or how terrible He was, none of us got what we needed because only the Father in heaven can fulfill, can fulfill that in us. 
My, mom, my, my, my wife had such a great relationship with her dad. He was a great man to her. He was a tremendous father-in-law to me. And we got into a relationship with him at a tough, difficult time. But I can remember time after time before his death and after his death, my wife would get up from an altar and she'd be like, Tim, I don't know what this is, but I feel like I miss my daddy. I'm homesick for my dad. I'm homesick for this. And didn't begin to realize until this revelation happened that God was telling her, even you with a great father, he cannot fulfill. That homesickness is for a heavenly let me show you the culture, and this is absolutely last thing. When we have Mother Day services, we, we celebrate mothers. We give them beautiful presents, and we, we speak kindly to them. We recognize them. We, we do a beautiful, poetic message, if possible, about mothers and Mother's Day, and we should do that. We, we're so thankful for our mothers. But then come Father's Day, it's not the same environment. Father's Day, we throw a screwdriver at you and say, hey, fathers, you need to step up to the plate. The reason why is because of this. We have a tremendous lacking of fatherhood. And even the best that the best could do cannot fulfill it. So the mindset is, as fathers are always striving to be what they really can't be. If you look at cultures across the world that have absent or abnormal relationship with fathers, you're going to find the daddy issues that we've been talking about to, to a larger degree than any other culture. In the spiritual realm, we need a father. Stand with me. been way too long. I know you're hearing the passion behind the way I feel about this and how it shifted and changed my life. I pray this is revelation that when you begin to pray, you start praying to your Father so that your words will change your mindset. You begin to understand you have a Father. <laughs> I hope that when you make mistakes, you don't just go to a Savior, but you talk to a Father. I hope that when things go bad and you need counsel, that you understand that you have a wonderful counselor that's an everlasting father. And if your father has left you or he was a bum or whatever, I want you to know you're not missing anything because you have a heavenly father. For those that feel compulsion in the spirit today, I'm giving an altar service. And I declare people that have daddy issues and have admitted it, I think we all have daddy issues. If you're here, first of all, willing to release your earthly father, because no matter how good or how terrible, he couldn't provide for you what you needed. And if you're willing to have a paradigm shift, then would you just come and stand in the altar if you need your space, maybe stand in the first one or two pews, but I'm opening up this altar for all that want a forgiving their Father and receiving their Heavenly Father. Uh, 
What's your name, my darling? Brittany. Hey, Sister Brittany. I know that you have received healing from some tough situations in your upbringing. There's tremendous healing. But there's, there's always been within you a need for a father figure to say, I'm proud of you. You're awesome. This is a dimension that the Holy Ghost wants to do in your spirit today so that you will believe you're a beloved child of the Heavenly Father. When you receive this revelation, it's going to loose you from a lot of things. Things you deal with in your mind, your emotion, that's all I need to say. You're going to be loosed from that because you have that love, acceptance, blessing of a Heavenly Father. As we all on the altar begin to pray, I want you to pray. Now, don't try, try your best not to say Lord. Try your best not to say Jesus. But I want you to say words that a child would speak to its father and speak to our Heavenly Father in this place and ask Him for a paradigm shift and for a relationship that we have ignored to be a part of us. <laughs> father. Abba. Abba, Father, you know everything, Father, about us. You know us, Father. Heal us, Father. Love us, Father. Protect us, Father. We submit to you as your children. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church.